Hi guys, welcome back to Read Dirty to Me. It's me, V Cummins. Today I have decided to split Stanton Unconditional and most likely the third Stanton book into three parts. Depending on how the next set of notes goes, things like that, I really think that I'm going to release the third or the second part of Stanton this week instead of the weekly roundup as I feel like it might actually be better to kind of wrap them all up by the end of next week and we can start on the third Stanton book after that. This book is just so jam-packed. It's over 400 pages. It's a lot to get through. It's a lot to express. So for that reason, I really feel like it's best if we go ahead and just break this into three parts, have a little bit more time with it. We also, I was talking to my husband and I was like, you know, if I do these notes like how I normally would, we're talking about an hour and a half to two hours of just me talking in your guys' ear. And that's a lot to listen to, I understand. So I really feel, feel like breaking it up into three parts is going to be the best option for us. So that's why today looks a little bit different. If you guys are coming in and you just want to hear all three parts at once, I would go ahead and wait until hopefully by the end of this week, we will have all of them out and you guys can really uh, digest Stanton Unconditional because boy is it a doozy. I am going to go ahead and just plug everything at the top of the show so that way whenever we get into it, we really get into it. Like I said, I'm V Cummins. You can find me at V Cummins Romance on Facebook. Uh, it's a group. You can also find the podcast at Read Dirty to Me on Facebook and on Instagram, but I'm terrible at Instagram. So you can go ahead and give me a follow. I just probably won't respond. You can also email me at Victoria at ReadDirtyToMe.com. And the logo for the show is provided by Enchanted Tiki Designs, and I am absolutely obsessed with it, and I always will be. Please come join us on the Facebook group. We like to talk about the podcast, and I will hopefully be doing cover reveals and things like that for the books that are hopefully going to be coming out very soon. So thank you all for coming to Stanton Unconditional, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Here we are with Stanton Unconditional Part 1. Like I said, this book is really a doozy. I forgot how involved, how intense this book is until I was getting back into rereading it. Um, whenever I first read all the Stanton books, I read them in a single book. So a lot of the storylines all kind of get jumbled into what book is which. This book really is jam-packed. I mean, just hold on to your seats, you know, just really... Uh, be prepared. So we're just going to dive right into it. Book opens up with Adrian talking to Brigitte, Josh's live-in maid. Adrian walks in, but he can't find Josh. He does see that he's watching quote-unquote porn, which he takes as a good sign until he realizes that the porn is a sex take between him and Natasha. That's right, guys. Once again, we are starting off with a bang because T.L. Because Swan really knows how to start off a book really well. Just let's as he's questioning why in the world they'd film themselves, he finds himself seeing a foot on the floor. He walks over to see Josh on the floor and cocaine on the table. He immediately calls for Ben's help. They get him on his side and work to get him as safe as possible before the ambulance arrives. It switches to Natasha, who is on a plane, not knowing anything that is happening. She's sitting on a plane to be to LA to be with Josh with her 
bodyguard Max by her side. Max really comes into play in this book. Um, and it actually technically in the third book too. Really, you'll hear a lot about Max. He's a key player from here on out. So just forewarning you guys. <clears throat> he has been with her the whole eight weeks since her dad's death. So they've become very close. She realizes that while it is great, they are not biologically related. It will be devastating to Josh once he learns he's not biologically a Stanton. She says, why have we had to sacrifice both of our beloved fathers to be together? And I believe that is a really good and strong point that she makes. In different ways, they will both lose the father they know at the end of this. Her dad may have had an underlying heart condition, but she still feels guilty that he loses the man he knew as his father. They get to LA and she sees Max talking to one of Josh's drivers that Ben helped organize. But there's a hushed conversation between Max and the driver before Max tells her that Josh has overdosed on cocaine. She rushes for the car to get to the hospital as quickly as possible. Adrian's point of view again, he's with Cameron getting information from the doctor. They're worried about a cerebral hemorrhage or heart failure and they had to put him in a coma. The doctor asks if he's married and Cameron answers that yes, his wife Natasha is on the way, which surprises Adrian not knowing she was is coming. After five hours, Adrian leaves the room and Ben informs him that, quote, vinegar tits just arrived, unquote, pissing Adrian off and wondering who invited her. The her they are speaking about is Amelie. She's pissed. She wasn't wearing earlier and informs them that Josh's mom called her because of course she did. When when Cam walks out of the room, she immediately zeroes in on Adrian, asks why he didn't call, and he points out that she hasn't even asked how Josh is actually doing. Adrian is talking to himself when he describes that he and Cameron and Ben don't like Amelie. She's two-faced, manipulative bitch that plays Josh a lot, and they're thankful that Josh never went there with her romantically. The doctor comes up and asks if Amelie is Mrs. Stanton, but Cameron is quick to inform the doctor that she is not, but does tell Amelie that Josh and Natasha are married, causing her to go pale and quiet. Adrian decides to leave the whole situation, goes to the cafeteria where he sees Natasha mad-dashing her way through the hospital, and Adrian comments to himself that this is how you act when the person you love is dying, not like Amelie, which is actually, I think, a great um, point, like a very specific author's point you know you have Amelie who's just mad that she wasn't informed she's throwing a hissy fit all this other kind of stuff whereas you know Natasha doesn't care about any of that she just wants to get to Josh she just wants to find him to make sure he is okay Adrian when Adrian calls out to her she crumples in his arms before being led to Josh's room when they pass Amelie she glares at Natasha causing Adrian to get even more mad they go in the room and the doctor asks if this is the wife and Natasha plays along. It switches back to Natasha as she falls into Josh's chest, crying into him and asking what happened. When the guys explain that he doesn't usually do cocaine, he was just trying to get through the day, Natasha starts to blame herself. Adrian comforts her, telling her that they, what they've been through isn't fair and they will get through it and they can work things out together, which causes Natasha to get angry and begging him to fight to be with her and fight for them. Hours later, after she stayed by his bedside, the doctor comes in and notes that he seems to be doing better. They will keep him under light sedation, but he has passed the worst. The doctor asks if she will be staying, and she says she will, so they bring her a cup for the night. Cameron explains that he's still pretty upset with her, but that Josh needs her, so he put Josh first, and that's why he said that she was his wife, which I thought was very sweet of Cam. This book has a lot of great Cam moments, which is interesting because Cam's book doesn't have a lot of great Cam moments. Cam is really one of those kind of secret sleeper people for me. I loved his book so much. Um, he was my introduction to T.L. Swan, but oh man, his book can be absolutely brutal. You can tell, um, 
there was just a lot of heartache in that book that was really well portrayed. I can't wait to get into that book, but I'm going to need a breather after this, after the Stanton series. So we're going to go to something probably a little bit more lighthearted. All right, guys, chapter two. Natasha's sitting in his room watching him sleep, trying to get to the root cause of his issues before talking herself out of it, telling herself to stop being a therapist about everything. She goes over to talk to him, telling him she misses him and examines his body, seeing the changes their eight weeks apart have done to him. She noticed the fights on his body, like bruises and stuff like that. She automatically assumes it's for cage fighting. We'll find out later that it's not, but it's very... She just immediately goes to cage fighting and talks about, like, how she doesn't want him to be doing things like that because of... She starts talking to him again, telling him how much she loves him, tries to get him to wake up, and she feels him lightly squeeze her hand before asking what's going on. She explains he had a cocaine overdose and he's in the hospital. He tries asking questions, but she's buzzing for the nurse, and the nurse and Cameron walk in along with the doctor, too. After a while of the doctors and nurses checking him over, they're alone again, and she apologizes to him, but he says it's his fault. He asks if Adrian got her ring for her from his safe, and she gets confused, explaining that Cam just lied, but Josh seems upset, thinking they got married and he didn't remember, but it makes Natasha question internally if there's a ring. After a half hour and a shower later, they're talking, Josh finding out that she had found out about this at LAX. And she's telling him she was already on her way to him, and he points out he thought they'd never see each other again based on her words. He makes her almost feel self-conscious, or she's not wanted there, so she asks if he doesn't want her, and he expresses that of course he wants her there, that he loves her so much, and his heart rate starts to go up, so the nurse comes in to give him medicine so he will calm down and sleep. She's worrying about his drug use before she falls asleep and decides to ask him and Cam what his life was like before. And I really do have to agree with this. I said it, you know, last week, you have to know what you're looking at for a relationship, especially one that is this serious and that is happening so rapidly. You know, she kicked Carson out because of the drugs. Here, you know, they break up and all of a sudden he's doing drugs again. So, of course, she's trying to take these precautions. So, it really makes sense to me. It really tracks for me on why, you know, she's really thinking about that. But one thing that was really interesting that I only kind of briefly touched on is that he's really paranoid he's really like okay but I thought we were broken up I thought we weren't together I thought you were done with me and I always forget about it I've read these books a million times but like I said before I've read them almost kind of just like in one book you know it comes in a box set and so I read the box set and and then I'm like oh yeah this is happening but why is he freaking out so bad like why is he constantly like I thought we were broken up I thought we weren't together and you will find out why but it's really interesting that every single time it will almost kind of slip from my brain and I'm in the same state as Natasha of why do you want me out of here so bad or why are you reminding me that we were broken up broken up why does that matter and it really comes into play especially even just in these first 10 chapters you really notice you really find out why She wakes up to him snuggling her on her cot, saying I love you before they fall back asleep. They wake up to Cam and Adrian in their room talking about them, and as soon as Josh seems to be back to himself, Cam immediately confronts him about the cocaine usage. Josh tries to avoid the conversation, but Natasha really won't let him, asking if he's an addict. She asks if he's going to do this every time they have a fight, and he points out it was bigger than that. It was a full breakup. She asks if he purposely overdosed, and he explained he didn't. It was just a harder weekend than usual. He asks the boys to leave while he talks to holding her begging her not to leave again leave him again right as they're about to talk the doctor walks in 
After the doctor leaves, a nurse comes in, saying he needs to shower, and Josh says he needs help. The nurse lets him lets them both have private time, including a do not disturb sign, and they lock the door. The second they're alone behind a locked door, Josh cracks his neck, and she tries to tell him no, but she he drops his hospital gown, where he is completely erect. They spend 15 minutes of that 20 that the nurse gave them, just holding each other under the water, running water, missing each other, and reveling in the fact that they're back together again. Josh runs his hands down her body before getting to her opening and starting to finger her, telling her he missed her so much and he needs her, reminding her that the nurse will come in soon and see, and she can't see him erect, making Natasha jealous. He says that he can sit on the bench and she can climb onto him so he won't hurt himself more. As she looks at his naked body, she pushes him onto the bench and climbs onto him. As he follies into her, they both tell each other they love each other. It's a quick moment between them, both of them so on edge after missing each other for so long that he picks her up and slams her down on him. He apologizes for not lasting long, but she says it's okay because they have the rest of their lives. As they're snuggled into each other, they hear a knock and his mother calls out, asking if he's in there what a buzzkill so i will say first um 10 chapters which are what i'm covering in this episode really don't a really don't have a lot of sex and b the sex that they do have i'm kind of bypassing for a few reasons one this book is so loaded and you know if you she writes really well really good sex scenes um but I feel like for this book especially, there's so much drama and action happening that I feel like right now we're going to focus on that kind of stuff more. And once they get into other things and, you know, the story kind of calms down a little bit, we can really focus on the sexual aspects of it. But for this specific book, or at least these first 10 chapters, it's not going to be as quote-unquote read dirty to me. It's more going to be like, hey, let's talk about this intense plot that's happening because this book is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Thank you, Gwen Stefani, because I can still remember that. Chapter three, Josh gets a mischievous grin on his face as he hears his mom joking with Natasha, who is absolutely petrified that his mom is outside. His mom knocks again and he tells her to give them a minute as he and Natasha are showering together. Natasha gets flustered and runs out of the bathroom to see Cam lounging on Josh's hospital bed smirking and asking her about the shower sex, commenting that Josh looks looks better when he comes out. He also tells them that their mother, mother ran off after hearing the showering together comment, making Natasha even more mortified. She sees Cam in his hospital gear and asks him if this is where he works. He confirms it is, so she takes a picture of him proudly, which of course makes Cam exceptionally happy. Guys, Cam is the sweetest human on the planet, except for his book. I love him so very much, even in his book. I cannot wait to talk about him. And you'll hear that a lot this episode because of just how how great he is in this book. Um, he really sticks up for those he loves, and you can see it a lot. Uh, their mother walks in, giving Josh shit for the drugs, asking if this is a common thing for Josh and Cam, but they lie, saying it was Josh's first time. Natasha immediately recognizes the lie. Bowing internally to put a stop to the partying, she tries to leave, wanting to get away from his mom, but Josh won't let her. He says that if they're going to be in this, they need to do it together. She stays, but Margaret says she wants to talk with her. Natasha still does kind of get away for a bit, ending up with her having coffee with Max, her bodyguard. This is where you really start to see some of Josh's jealousness kind of pick up in this book. And that comes really big into play later. It kind of comes into play now, but I think it's like the third book. Like I said, they're all kind of jumbled sometimes. That really comes into play. Max is a great guy, but Josh has a lot of ill feelings towards him, even though Max is a lot older than Natasha. It's still too much for Josh. He still can't handle it. 
ironically, this is where you find out that Max has actually been seeing somebody in Australia who lived in Natasha's apartment building. She's a widower. She has two kids. They're really hitting it off. So it's really interesting that Josh just holds all this animosity and you really, really see it coming out. Whenever Max has somebody that he's interested in, he's nowhere near interested in Natasha. He's almost taking on like a way older brother or almost fatherly role towards her. And he's in this role that Josh put him in. Josh hired him to watch Natasha. It's said later on in the book. I don't know if I mentioned it in my notes, but Max is actually the most senior person at this security firm. He is the best of the best. Ben is great. Ben owns the security firm, but Max is actually the best. So it's really interesting that Josh, who hired him and put him into this position, just cannot handle it. She asked Max about the woman he's seeing back in Australia, and he asked her how she and Josh are doing. She goes back in to see Josh. He informs her that he wants to take six months off when she moves there so they can travel and spend time together. His priorities have changed and now she's his biggest priority. Soon, however, it turns into an argument because Josh reiterates that he does not want her working when she moves, but especially not as a sexual therapist. Too many men will want to be with her and he doesn't feel it's safe for a career choice. She gets pissed and rightfully so, because she worked her ass off to become as successful as she is. They're quickly interrupted by a rehab specialist and Natasha leaves, because part of Josh leaving when he does get to leave is that he has to do these rehab, you know, drug rehab stents, or at least talk to a specialist instead of actually going inpatient for three months. She meets Margaret, Josh's mom, for coffee, where they sit down and Margaret asks for a truce, explaining that she was just so upset at her for breaking Josh's heart and cheating. Natasha comes clean to her, explaining that she did do that to protect Josh, and she has yet to sleep with another man. They get more into Margaret's affair, saying her husband was working all the time and she missed him, so she sought comfort in his friend. Her, Oddly enough, her husband admitted to having an affair, and he wanted to try again after being gone for four months. Margaret didn't confess then and has kept the secret this whole time. She found out Joshua was not her husband's when he got hurt at 16 and needed blood. She realized then, with his rare blood type, he could not have been related to his brothers, and he was not her husband's child. She also asked Natasha to keep the secret as well. Natasha tries to say she can't lie, but Margaret asks her to just not tell him, as she thinks it will crush Joshua. And if it does need to come out, she will tell him and not implicate Natasha at all. But I don't believe her. Like, I know that at this point, you're really supposed to feel for Joshua's mom, because Margaret is bearing her soul and really going out there and explaining, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that's fine and dandy, but I just don't believe that she wouldn't implicate Natasha if the situation arose just to save her own ass because that's just the kind of person that I feel Margaret is. Um, I really just, overall, I can't trust her and it drives me insane because I just don't like whenever she gets to needle in the storyline. Or maybe I'm just taking it too seriously. That could also be true. Chapter four, Natasha walks up to Josh's room. All of his stuff is gone, only to find he's been moved to his private wing. She gets escorted up there. While on the way, she's thinking about the conversation she had with Margaret and what the consequences of keeping it silent could be. As she gets up to his opulent space, a VIP wing of the hospital, she walks in and he's elated to see her. And frisky as hell, too. They talk a lot about their breakup, with Josh admitting it was difficult to be cut out like that from her, that he felt like he wasn't helping her like he should have been. Cameron walks in and interrupts their talk and through their banter he looks at josh's chart making a concerned and confused face she tries to ask him what's wrong but he doesn't say why 
and leaves the room. Natasha walks over and opens the file, seeing the blood type and thinking he may be figuring it out. She goes to get a drink with Max and accidentally bumps into someone with red, red dreadlocks and a very distinctive face. Chapter 5. It wakes up with Natasha having a horrible dream where her and Josh are kidnapped and they're beating Joshua while also taunting the both of them. Josh wakes her up terrified and asking what happened. She explains that she keeps having the same dream where a group of men kill Josh and then, trigger warning for sexual assault, gang rape her. He takes her into his shower so he can do her shower therapy and then they fall back asleep. She wakes up with him inside her and he explains he loves making love to her while she sleeps because her body responds to him so well, even in her sleep. As they're finishing up, Cameron knocks on the door. Her and Josh run to the bathroom and when she comes back out, she offers to go get coffee. Ben opens the door and explains that there are two cops there wanting to talk. She gives Josh a look, but he tells her not to worry and to give him 20 minutes. Switches over to Josh's point of view. He's talking to two police officers, and you find out his car was stolen. The cops believe it was a hit taken on him because his ultra-fancy Aston Martin car was returned without a scratch, with the keys in the passenger seat at his work parking garage. He tells the cops he was at the horse ranch on Friday, leaving around 10. At the gas station, he was jumped, explaining the bruising that Natasha saw on him when he was unconscious. He says he doesn't remember what they look like, but one had red dreadlocks. Josh absolutely does not want Tosh to know what is going on between the dreams she has and the death of her father. He doesn't want to stress her out more. Adrian comes in, gets up to speed on everything, and then has his own news to share. A newspaper article has come out about Josh supposedly marrying his sex therapist and it names Natasha, but including a picture of her with her bodyguard Max and his hand on the small of her back upsetting Josh more because now her face is out there for whoever set up the hit to see and because Max has his hands on Natasha. Even, like we said, it really doesn't mean anything. When Ben walks back in, Adrian hires more security for her, but Josh takes Max off her detail, wants to swap with Ben, which then prompts the other men to realize he's jealous of Max. When he informs Natasha about the switch, she explains she's most comfortable with Max, causing the other men to smirk, smirk and Adrian to tell her that she can keep Max with a big grin on his face. Natasha also tells him she has to go back to Sydney so she can leave her job and she will be back in two weeks. He wants to go, but the doctor does not want him flying at all for two weeks, which is incredibly important. Natasha's point of view. It flashes to Natasha for a bit. Josh has to get tests done to see if he can leave the hospital and she's getting bored. She goes into the VIP rating room and hears an announcement that Amelie wants to come in. Natasha tells her where to find Josh, but Amelie explains she's here to see Tasha. She tells Natasha that they've been sleeping together since Josh got back from Australia, including the Friday night that he was coming back from the horse farm. Chapter 6. Natasha makes her way to Josh's room in a phase, like in a daze. Once the nurse leaves, she asks Josh if Emil is, Amelie is lying. He goes quiet and she starts to panic. He expresses that it was only once. As she's trying to leave and he's trying to unhook himself from the machines, Amelie walks in. Natasha tells her she can have him while Josh is screaming at Amelie to get the fuck out. She flees from the hospital, jumping into a cab, going to the nearest McDonald's. Her phone is blowing up, first with messages from Josh, explaining that he loves her, he's frantic, he's scared, reminding her that she has no money because she didn't bring her wallet. Max is the next one to blow up her phone, saying he needs to protect her and she will he will not disclose her location to Josh at all. After more back and forth, Max tells her that he has her wallet and passport and to meet him at a Greyhound station so they can escape. She takes her SIM card out of her phone so Josh can't trace her anymore. 
switches over to Josh's point of view, and it picks up at Amelie coming into the hospital room from before. He's frantically searching for Tosh as Cameron comes back onto their floor, spotting Amelie, and Josh fills him in. As Josh is trying to call Natasha, Cameron is trying to get Amelie to leave, but she won't budge. Finally, Josh turns to her, telling her to leave the room, his life, and his horses. She's fired. She tries to say they love each other, but he loses it again, saying, quote, I don't love you. How many times do I have to tell you that? You forced yourself onto me on Friday night, and when I realized what the hell was happening, I pushed you off of me. I'm beyond mortified at what happened between us. I'm in love with Natasha, and now you've fucked that up, too. If anything happens to her, I swear to God I will strangle you. Unquote. Now, we obviously don't see what happened on Friday night. But, obviously, I believe Josh. And I understand why he wouldn't tell Natasha, especially since they were, and so are, fragile at this point. He's, as he's, they're trying to track her, Adrian walks in completely unaware. Once he hears the abridged version of what happens, he's laying into Josh saying that Natasha t- can't take him back after this. And I don't think he's wrong. Cameron asks why Josh didn't tell her, and he explains he tried, but he couldn't tell her, he couldn't tell the woman he loved, that he had sex with someone else, especially Amelie. They're checking the hospital security cameras, and they see two of the men that attacked Joshua that Friday night, sending Joshua into a deeper panic. He finally pings her phone, tracks her to the McDonald's, where all but Adrian go to find her. Natasha's point of view. She's at the bus depot, scared and alone, and ruminating over what Amelie said. She feels she did guilt Josh into loving her. She feels that she was the constant pursuer between the two of them, and that Josh is with her out of obligation, not love. As Max walks in and sees her, he tries to get her to come back and talk to Josh, expressing that Josh was incredibly upset. It really doesn't seem like he had been with Amelie, but after hearing about how Amelie was kicked out, she feels terrible, like she's taking Josh's happiness away by being with him. She asks Max to get her back to Australia. They hop on a bus to San Diego to take a plane to Hawaii and then to Sydney. As they're on the road, Max relays to Josh that she's safe, but that she wants to go back to Sydney, and he's really sorry. Max turns to Natasha and says, quote, are you sure you want to, are you sure you won't regret this decision? Unquote. To which she responds every day. You don't have to get on the plane, Natasha. You do not have to get on the plane. You do not have to up these frequent flyer miles. You could just stay. You could stay and talk about it. But I really understand where she's coming from in that she feels like Amelie is Josh's actual true love, not her. And that Josh is with her out of some misplaced guilt or obligation because Natasha has only slept with him and he knows this. So she has this huge fear that he doesn't actually love her. He only loves the kind of thought of her or he loves her out of obligation. Whereas with Amelie, he could be with her. She loves horses. She loves his whole lifestyle. She's, you know, more accustomed to the money and the security and the, the, you know, the security detail and the fear and the risk that comes with this. Whereas Natasha isn't like that. You know, she wants to live in Sydney. She doesn't understand why she has to have bodyguards all the time. She doesn't really understand his wealth. You know, she really doesn't want him partying and doing cocaine, which are all completely reasonable requests by her. She also feels like Josh cannot be monogamous necessarily. And so first she's like, eh, Amelie might just not care about it. She might be able to handle the affairs. She might be able to handle the money. She might be able to handle the constant scrutiny, but for her, it just might not be enough. Chapter seven, 
This chapter opens up with Max and Natasha landing into Sydney when they get to Natasha's house. Max texts Josh to let him know that they are safe, but Josh immediately fires him, giving him three days until a replacement shows up and one month's notice. They hear voices inside her apartment, and Max kicks in the door, scaring Natasha's mom, Bridget, and Abby. They all try to get Natasha to talk to Josh, but she yells at them, telling him that she will not tolerate excuses for Josh, and they can all fuck off pretty much they stay through the night though and when she wakes up she heads to the gym and her office as she's getting to her office she runs into nicholas anastas who asks to speak to her privately once they're alone he asks for adrian's number but natasha doesn't feel comfortable giving it to him without adrian's permission he suggests that natasha call adrian that night and then let nicholas know as they're leaving her work, though, she gets bombarded with paparazzi, asking questions on if Josh is still in rehab, is he expected to make a full recovery, etc., and Max is trying to protect her. He tells her that he needs to tell Josh she needs extra protection, but Natasha tries to tell Max that he's the only bodyguard she wants. He calls her out for acting like a toddler. Chapter 8 it opens with Natasha utterly heartbroken. She's loved Josh for years, every day, and now this really feels like the end. How can it not? Here they are, she thought they were happy, the big obstacle of their taboo nature behind them, and she finds out that he slept with someone else. And not just someone else, but THE someone else, Amelie. That, I think, would break anyone. I know it would break me for sure. We are in the middle of rewatching One Tree Hill, and we're at the part where uh, Lucas sucks. So pretty much all of it. But we are at season one where Lucas sucks. And I turned to my husband today. And I was in the middle of, you know, reading this book and all this. And I just, I turned to him and I was like, this hurts. Like, this just sucks. It's just not fun to watch. It hurts to read. You know, you you just think about the, the love of your life. And all of a sudden, they're not that person anymore. You know, or they are, which is ten times worse. They You love this person so much and then they break your heart. And for what? You know, or they betray you. And for what? Like, what? it worth it and so I just I was telling my husband this I was like I don't like this it's just making me sad and he's like are you okay and I was like can we just watch something else because like I don't want to watch a guy be crummy to a girl and that girl you know also be best friends with the like girl that's being crummy too you know it just it hurts so this just was breaking me her dreams vary between the nightmare of watching Joshua die at the hands of the men or another one where he's making love to Amelie She's talking about how the media presence surrounding her is so intense and she wants to issue a statement that says they aren't married and have never been, but she feels that is really shutting the door on what they have. She tries to call Adrian because Nicholas is on her case about getting his number, but she just can't do it. She calls when he picks up, she immediately hangs up and just gives Nicholas Adrian's number. She's like, I can't do it. It's not worth it. Here's his damn number. Shut up. It does switch to Adrian's point of view. Him and Cam are watching Joshua do seemingly endless laps in the pool. Per Cam and Adrian, he's trying to burn off the extra anger and energy since he can't fly to Australia for another six days. Cam makes an offhanded comment about needing to get blood work done, but doesn't say much more. They're discussing how Adrian knew Amelie couldn't be trusted, but he never warned Joshua and this is all his fault. As they're sitting there, he gets a call from Nicholas. He's asking Adrian out for a drink as he's in L.A. that night. He tries to get out of it, but Joshua mouths to him to make him go. Instead, Adrian invites Nicholas to Josh's house, where Cam will cook begrudgingly. Back to Natasha. She's at the trial for the potential serial killer that she had to observe in the jail, which is where Justin Miller comes back in, as he's at the court as well. Justin is happy to hear that Natasha is single as he still wants to get with her and he thinks that she is into him as well. She's the only woman in the courtroom and it makes her incredibly nervous, especially because the serial killer won't look at anything but her. 
As she gets back to her house, Max is acting strange and she has a migraine that is coming on. Max reminds her that he will be right outside if she needs him and she's not sure what he's talking about, but she heads into her apartment anywhere, anyway where Josh is. The second he says her name, she starts crying and he rushes to hold her. He tells her he wants to tell her what happened that night. He's going over it, explaining how he had a few glasses of wine at dinner, went up to his room, had a shower. When he came back out, Amelie was there. The next thing he knew, Amelie was on top of him. Natasha tries covering her ears, not wanting to hear anymore. He tells her that it was only a minute, that he was so disgusted with himself, he immediately drove home, conveniently leaving out the damn mugging, and started watching the movie of the two of them, and then took too many drugs. He says that even though they he thought they were over he still felt ashamed and embarrassed she doesn't say anything but texts cam asking him to come over she goes into the bathroom collects herself then comes back out when she does come back out he's begging for her to stay for them to work through it she continues to stay silent because if she's not silent she'll break and take him back cameron ben and max come in and josh starts losing it begging natasha not to do this to let let them work on this and to try that he can't imagine life without her and he's sorry he begs her to say but all she can say is goodbye Joshua so this part really was whenever this book really starts hurting for me so it's really sad whenever you know you find out that he slept with Amelie but this part really starts to get to me because he's just sobbing in her apartment he's sobbing Cam comes in you know they eventually kick the bodyguards out but at one point Cam starts crying because he's watching his brother just lose it over this girl that he he loves so much and you can really just feel the pain in these words and you can feel the pain throughout and you know I've obviously read ahead for notes and things like that and just in general and uh chapter 11 which is the chapter after the one that I'm done with really makes me so incredibly sad and just so incredibly hurt and I texted my best friend and I said you know, I forgot how brutal Stanton is. Like, I forgot how just brutal it it really is. Like, I was just so upset and so mad. And I just, I want them to be together and happy, which is a huge flaw of mine. I want my characters and protagonists to just be happy and in love and everything's fine. And all of their conflict is external and not internal. And so I read these really well-written books and these beautiful books. And I'm like, okay, but why aren't they happy? And then I have to remember that conflict has to exist in these books. You know, they they have to exist. And T.L. Swan in these books does it so beautifully because I feel it. I've read these books so many times and I still feel this pain and I still feel this hurt. You know, whatever he was seen at the strip club, I wanted to punch him. This man is a fictional character. I was so mad at him. Like, he's not even a real person. I choose to believe he is, but in all actuality, he's not. And I still feel this pain when he hurts her. I feel this pain like he's hurting me because T.L. Swan writes these characters so realistically that you can't help but feel like they're real people. You know, I'll read other books where these men have almost zero flaws or the flaws they do have or are just for some slight character development. And that works great for me. I have no issue with that because it leads to a lighter, fluffier book. But with T.L. Swan, the characters and the flaws that they have are real flaws. They are real issues that people have. And so it's easier to feel the hurt and pain because it's not 
just, oh, this guy, you know, has too much money and he's kind of a jerk. It's this guy is a real guy who takes breakups hard and uses that time while you're broken up to maybe heal his heart through his dick. And that sucks to read because we've all had an ex like that where you find out that when you guys have been broken up, they healed their heart through their dick while you sat at home eating all the Ben and Jerry's. And it just sucks. And it's sad. And I just feel that so deeply here. You know, I was thinking about over the weekly roundup weekly recap of books that I'm reading and how I will always just say it's just so good I don't know what else to say I just love these books because they're so good and I want to share them with you guys because they're good and I can't think of any other adjectives besides great and amazing and wonderful and with T.L. Swan I have all of those adjectives she's a great writer she's you know a fantastic storyteller but she's brutal I mean she's brutal she makes you cry and she makes you sad and she makes you hate the men that you're supposed to be rooting for but while she's doing that she's making you fall more in love with these characters than I can remember about falling in love with some of the other great books that I've read so I think that's why whenever I did this revamp I wanted to start again with Stanton because these books for me are just almost like a a pinnacle of oh yeah here's how you write characters. You know, there are some storylines that like in these Stanton books and I'm like, oh, okay, I can do without that one. They're not bad, but I can do without it, whatever. But her character development, her character development is beautiful because you just don't see that in a lot of books. You don't have these flawed characters to the extent that these characters are. So I am truly, whenever we come back for 11 through 20, uh, of though, you know, chapters 11 through 20, I'm really going to have a hard time probably not crying because chapter 11 alone, I was reading it, you know, 20 minutes ago and I was like, oh, this just hurts. This just hurts to read. You don't want to hear this. You don't want to think about somebody in your life doing this, but we all have a Joshua Stanton. You know, we all have that guy in our past who just hurt us so bad. And she does such a good job of conveying that. So, now that I am off my soapbox, I am very, very sorry. We are going to move on to chapter nine. She wakes up two days later at her mom's house. Her mom is begging to understand why Natasha can't be with Josh, but Natasha explains she doesn't think she's strong enough to be with him because of the nightmares. She explains that a therapist at her work believes she needs to be stronger before she gives her trust to someone else. She also makes the same comment about how she killed her dad, and her mom gets upset, explaining that is not what happened. Her dad had a undiagnosed medical condition and that's what causes the heart attack she expresses she wants to let joshua go and hopefully in time he will still love her and he'll come back for her so she has the whole if i if you love them set them free and if they truly love you they'll come back i get it i understand it just be with him you know go to therapy be, be behind the scenes or whatever just be with him just be with him and be happy and the story can end here and all is fine but we still have you know, a half a book and another book to cover. So it's not going to be that easy. It goes to Wednesday and Joshua keeps sending emails, speaking to her through the subject line as she hadn't been reading them before. That day's emails are, quote, fucking speak to me. You left me, remember? Sorry, I'm not as perfect as you are. <clears throat> you are going to regret this. Speak to me or I will never forgive you. Your last words to me were, I never want to see dot, dot, dot. I fucking mean it. You owe it to me to listen. Call me now, unquote. 
she's glad he's getting angrier because the more angry he gets, the closer he is to letting go and possibly figuring out he may want Amelie. The night she goes out with the girls and Cameron, she's pissed and thinking Josh is with them, but they explain that they invited him. He just declined. She's really mad at this. She's like, why in the hell would you invite him? Why would you invite Cameron? Like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you bringing this situation whenever we're supposed to just be having a girl's night? Cameron comes back to the table. He's clearly pissed at Natasha, but they're trying to make small talk, asking about Nicholas and Adrian. Cam tells them that nothing happened there and he doesn't know why, making a pointed comment to Natasha about how, every, how everyone's fucking up at the moment. This sets Natasha off again, and she asks him to just come out with it. He expresses he doesn't understand why she can't just talk to Josh, fix this thing between the two of them, and she expresses she can't. He could have talked to her before they slept together. He could have told her any other time, but he didn't. She also expresses that for her, she saved her body because sex meant something, and yes, it was her decision to do that, but it's still hard to hear that he slept with Amelie. She dreamed of being in love since she was little, and the man who loved her back isn't supposed to say, oh, sorry, but I slept with someone else. She feels that everyone views her as cold, when in all actuality, she's not cold. She's just heartbroken. She feels like no one is seeing her heartbreak, just Josh's. She says that Josh needs to go back to Amelie. She will understand the life he held before, the drugs, the money, the fame, the affairs, but that's not the life she can handle. It switches over to Josh's point of view. Him and Adrian are in a dark car across from the cafe waiting for Cam. They're watching the cafe and talking about what they should do. Adrian suggests proposing to her, just barreling over, dropping on one knee. Josh says he's thought about it, but it wouldn't work. He also talks about how they don't have privacy, how the guards are just always there, and he's sick of not having a moment to himself. Adrian stops his rant about that to point out that Natasha is leaving the cafe with Max and Josh is jealous. Ten minutes later, Cam walks back to the car, letting them know that he taped the whole interaction so they can hear exactly what Natasha said. After it plays, he feels like he really lost her this time and she's not coming back. It keeps playing and you can hear Abby say that she needs to get laid, really get laid, like by multiple people, including some threesomes, but Cam shuts that down. Josh sits silently until coming to terms with Natasha being too good for him and he needs to just let her go. He has Adrian call the pilot so they can leave on Saturday. It switches to Natasha's point of view for like two minutes. Max is taking her back to her place, but when they get back, her apartment is broken into. That's originally where I was going to leave today because I was like, I'll oh, split into three parts. I'll just end right before chapter 10. But I was like, nah, I got to finish at least this part. Chapter 10. She's outside with Max as men clear her apartment. <clears throat> making sure all is okay. This is where she finds out that Joshua has a hitman after him. She's freaking out. She feels left out, scared, confused. As the apartment is deemed all clear, they think it was an interrupted robbery. Max calls Ben, immediately pissing Natasha off because she doesn't want those close to Josh to know what's going on. As she's looking around her apartment, Josh texts Max, asking if Natasha is fine. When Max shows her, she answers that she's fine from Max's phone. When Josh responds back, though, he tells Max not to tell her anything, furthering piss off, pissing off Natasha because she feels like she's being lied to again. She feels like everybody around them knows all of this stuff that's going on, including the Amelie situation. A lot of them knew about, well, she thinks a lot of them knew about Amelie. She thinks that a lot of her gu his guards knew, Adrian knew, Cam knew. She thinks that everybody in their peripheral is in their relationship more than she is so she's just getting really mad when ben comes she snaps at him before eventually calming down and asking ben to please just take josh back to america and keep him safe ben agrees but tells her she's making a mistake 
When the cops do come and they ask what's missing, she tells them nothing before realizing she didn't check her bedroom. There she finds that all of her underwear is gone and her vibrator. It is found out that two other apartments have been robbed, but in my opinion, hers seems like the main target. That Friday night, she's sitting in her office late because she doesn't want to go home. She knows if she goes home, she will, ha- she will just try to run to Josh, beg him to stay, as she knows he leaves in the morning. She finally resigns herself to leaving. As she's closing her tabs on her computer, a pop-up shows up. It's a box where Josh is talking to her, asking her to talk to him, but she says she can't. When she can't handle the messages anymore, she unplugs the computer so it turns off. From Josh's point of view, they're at the airport getting ready to leave. He keeps looking to the door, hoping to see her, but unfortunately, she never comes. It switches back to Natasha, and she's back at the jailhouse, terrified out of her mind. Justin is still hitting on her, but now they're having a really fun and witty banter. She's mocking him more, and it's helping her get through all of this. The interview begins, though, and that's when she gets really freaked out. The serial killer she's observing asks if Natasha's in that room. Her colleague deflects, but Kobe, the serial killer, expresses he has something of hers. Justin says it's a scare tactic, but Kobe says it's pink and perfect. Tell me, dear. Was it a tight fit? He questions, huh? What the hell? My eyes widen in horror as his sick eyes look straight through me, unquote. After this, she bolts out of the observing room and Justin catches up to her asking what's going on. She tells him about the robbery, what happened, telling him obviously that her vibrator was stolen and that's what Kobe was alluding to. He leaves to go somewhere and Natasha calls Max. On her way out, she runs into Justin who gives her a huge hug. Her his body against hers causes her to have arousal crash through her, and it makes her even more upset. It switches back to Josh. He's been back in LA for two weeks, and he's at the office when Amelie walks in. She's trying to get him to talk, but he explains he has no desire to talk to her, that he regrets every moment of the quote-unquote shitty sex they had, and he's never loved her. Amelie keeps trying to dig the knife deeper, saying that Natasha just loves to hurt him. He and Natasha can never and will never be happy together, but he keeps yelling at her to get out and that he's done with her. Switches back to Natasha's point of view. She's sitting with the girls, and it turns out that Kobe reads police reports and uses it to freak people out. She goes to pay, but her card gets declined, so she asks Bridget to help her transfer money, as she can barely see without her glasses on. When she does, Bridget notices a huge deposit, $30 million to be exact, from Stanton. She starts crying as it feels like a divorce settlement. She finally texts Josh, saying she doesn't want his money, and he calls her a liar. She texts back, Quote, for what it's worth, Joshua, you will always be the love of my life. He responds, liar, if that was the case, you would be here with me right now. You know I would be with you if I could. We want different things, Josh. It doesn't mean I don't love you. You don't get to say that to me anymore. You have brought me to my knees for the last time. Stay the fuck out of my life. I never want to see you again. And listen, I know. I know Josh fucked up. Okay, like, I get it. But I also get, like, don't text him that. You know, if you want to be done, if you want to walk out, if you, if you are done, just walk away. Like, cause that's not helping either one of you. And you can really feel that here. And it's just, it's so hard, especially because like, this is where the chapter ends. You know, it ends on these two just fighting. And so that's where today's recap ends as well. But it's just so hard because these, these two are clearly just, like, I understand both sides. I understand that she needs this break because they're not right for each other. They're incredibly toxic for each other. But 
it's really hard whenever, like, he's trying to put in the work. I mean, whenever he's at her apartment in Australia and he's begging and pleading with, just give me another chance. You know, he's like, I'll go to counseling. I'll, we'll go to therapy. I don't care. And she has to rightfully say, no, I can't do this right now. But then I just feel like, why text him after that $30 million? You know, like, why, why text him? I just don't understand it. But like I said, I mean... You know, this is, in my opinion, the sign of a really good book where you can sit there and be like, okay, but why are you doing this? You know, why are you putting yourself in this situation where you know that any response that you get from Joshua in that point is going to hurt you? It's going to make you miserable. It's just going to upset you. So why are you texting him? You know, like, who who are you proving a point to at that point? You know, are you proving a point to yourself? Like, oh, maybe he doesn't hurt me as much. Are you trying to prove a point to him saying, haha, I can text you and I don't need your money. You know, it's just one of those things of how, how is this bettering the situation? And like I said, I mean, this is chapter, this is the end of chapter 10 of the second book. You know, if the second book out of three, if you don't count the epilogue. So we're talking about, you know, like a third of the way through this second book and it's already just, like I said, it's just brutal. These books are so well written because they, you know, make you hurt and they just, they hurt in ways that you're not expecting. And so, yes, this book is incredibly heartbreaking and sad and devastating, but these books are well written and they have characters in them that make you feel things and that's what you should look for in a book and I will say going through these books and doing this stuff for this podcast has helped me realize what I want to do as a writer I want to really you know have these characters that I've been writing fluffy characters I like fluffy characters my first set of novels will be as fluffy as a cloud and I'm okay with that but maybe eventually I will want to write characters like this that have more flaws, that have more depth. And, you know, I mean, T.L. Swan herself will say like, yeah, some of these books have grammatical errors or some of these books, you know, have things I don't necessarily write like this anymore and stuff like that. So she'll, she'll bring all those up. But I still think overall this book, for what it's trying to accomplish, for what it's trying to convey, it does that. And so hopefully one day I will be able to write books where my books can convey, you know, the troubleness of people or the imperfectness of people. And that's enough of a soapbox from me. Um, I am incredibly sorry that this episode is a little bit later on Sunday nights. Hopefully trying not to do that anymore. Um, but yeah, I guess this is it for this week's episode. Hopefully I'll be back on Wednesday or Thursday with the second third of, um, Stanton Unconditional. But if not, definitely look out for it on Sunday. And maybe this week will just be weekly recommendations. Maybe this week will be part two of three. Maybe I will have to read, you know, one of those mink books that I was saying last week that's all about kittens. Like, I'll read that just kind of as a brain uh, cleanser. So, anyway, thank you guys for joining us this week on Read Dirty to Me. I will see you guys later. Bye.